Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. Thank you that we can study tonight. And I do pray that this time in your word would be refreshing, that it would be uh, encouraging, God, that it would be strengthening to our spirit. Lord, that you would help us to set our mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. And uh, I do pray, I ask, Father, that you would help me to rightly divide your word um, so that uh, all of us might come to know you better and uh, just fall more in love with you, Lord. Thank you for this letter to the Corinthian church. Thank you for Paul and his heart uh, for the gospel and for people, Lord, that he loved these people. And, uh, and so we can glean much from this and pray that our hearts are now prepared through our time of worship uh, to bring, uh, to learn of you, God. And we just thank you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a, a letter of correction. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth because they had become wayward in many ways. And, uh, and so he is, is putting the hammer down. And it's going to get pretty intense, especially as we get into some of the deeper chapters, um, up until about 11. And then he, he turns the tide there in 11 and 12 and starts speaking more toward uh, mature things and spiritual gifts and things like that. But uh, initially, that's hey, we, these are the things we need to correct. And I want you to understand, I want us to understand as we, as we study the book, the reason Paul's writing the letter is because he loves them, is because he cares about them. You, you, uh, God disciplines those whom he loves, uh, just as you as a parent discipline your children, not because they're driving you crazy, but because you love them. Well, maybe sometimes you do because they're driving you crazy. But the, the overall reason, the arching reason, is because you love your kids and you want the best for them, and so you discipline them. And, and that's what Paul feels. And I've said this several times, but up until I started teaching these the Pauline epistles, I always considered Paul as the heavy-handed apostle. That he was just there to strike down and and to, and to throw his weight around and and to to you know show how tough he was, and really as you read these letters and and as I've studied them this time through, I'm, I'm gleaning more of the idea that he, Paul is certainly ha- he has apostolic power. He is the capital A apostle, but he is also a loving pastor. He is a loving father of these churches, you know, as he is the one that has established the majority of them. And so when he sees a church that he spent 18 months with, a long time with there in Corinth, as he sees them now wayward, you almost can sense his heart breaking as he writes this letter to say, guys, you're, you're off course. Let's wheel it back in. Let's pull it back in and, and let's get back on the right course. And, and so, primarily as we as we've begun to study what what they were doing in many different forms and fashions was they were looking to the world to establish what was good in their church to establish what was uh, the 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 desirable thing in their church they were looking to the world they were to steal some of our ideas from sunday they were laying their church pattern down on the ways of the world they were more interested in worldly wisdom they were more interested in seeing signs they were more interested in the philosophy of the time than they were in the godly things and and paul saying to do that is to demean yourself is to actually take a step down when when god calls you into his kingdom you're taking a step up into his kingdom and 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 god's wisdom is much higher than the worldly wisdom so to to chase after those things 
is a mistake. To chase after the ways of the world is taking a step backward, is taking a step down from what God has called you to. And so he wants to, to pull them back. And he continues with the idea of, of minimizing the, the ways of man and the, the wisdom of man and elevating the ways of God and the wisdom of God here in chapter 2. All right, you with me? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Paul's saying, I, I simplified things. And we've talked about this a couple times as he was coming from Athens to Corinth. He changed the way he presented the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech. I, I simplified things. I, I, I just made it simple. Uh, Calvary Chapel, I, I don't know that we have this uh, as, a, as a, con- uh, a large congregation of churches. We don't necessarily have this phrase tra- trademarked that I know of, but I like it. Uh, many churches, uh, the one in Dayton would say, Calvary Chapel, simply teaching the Bible simply. That's what we as a Calvary Chapel strive to do, to teach the Bible simply. Simply teaching the Bible. That's all we do is we teach the Bible and we teach it simply. And so that's what Paul's saying. I didn't come with, I could have. Paul's an educated man. I I, I could have come with that, but I didn't. I just came with the gospel, declaring the testimony of God. That's what you and I are called to do. We are all ministers of the gospel. You understand that as you have become a disciple of Christ, you are employed in the ministry, the ministry of making other disciples. You're commissioned to make other disciples. How do we do that? We declare, just like Paul says here in verse 1, we declare the testimony of God. We explain the gospel. That's how we make disciples. And we, and we can continue in, in being disciples by understanding the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God became man, a perfect sacrifice, so that you and I could have life. That's very, very simple. But figure out how to say it in your own words. Practice it. Let it roll off your tongue. Don't be afraid to speak it out loud. How, how would you share the gospel? 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Well, are you prepared? If I were to ask one of you to stand up here and explain to us the gospel, would you be okay with that? If not, then you have work to do. Then we have work to do. And, and so Paul is saying, I, I didn't come with excellent speech. It doesn't take that. I don't know enough about the gospel. Yes, you do. If you're saved, you do. You know enough about the gospel. I don't know how to talk. I, I have a speech impediment. Okay, Moses, you know, uh, we'll fix that. You don't have to come with excellence of speech. And I think the, the way we, and I've mentioned this before, but I think the way we, we do that is... Well, you, you know this. You talk about the things that you love, right? We, we, just by nature, talk about the things that we love. For example, what's going on Saturday? Hello? Yeah. First football game of the season. 
I know Chrissy's like, I don't care. Well, that's because she doesn't love football. I understand. Michelle doesn't care either. But to me, I'm like, cool, I know what's going on Saturday. So I'll be happy to talk with Russ after, you know, church about, hey, you know, who's going to start and what are these things going on? Is Buffalo going to be an issue? I don't think so. Do we have a chance to go 12-0? and Yes, we have a chance to go 12-0. and Really, it'd be 25-0 and because we didn't lose it all last season. And we talk about the things that we love. When I, when I gave the example 18 months ago, two, two years, a year and a half ago now, what I did was I, I shared with you about Chick-fil-A's banana and, and what's it called? Banana pudding milkshake. And I shared with how I could live on that. And, and I, you know, I told you about its frosty goodness and, and, and they took it off the menu. I'm tweaked about that. They got some mocha cookies and cream this summer, which is all right, but it's nowhere near the banana pudding milkshake. I'm pretty sure that's the drink of heaven. I'm quite confident. But anyhow, we talk about the things which we love. Yes? So, are you in love with God? Are you in love with God enough to speak of Him? To tell others about Him? To share, hey, I found this thing. I found this this relationship. I found this encouragement. I found this hope. And let me tell you about it. Because it's changed my life. Because I'm more in love with this relationship with this person, this, this being, God, than anything else in the world. Let me share it with you. It, it, the more we fall in love with God, the easier it is going to be to talk of Him. And so as we gather on a Wednesday night and we sing our songs unto God, hopefully we, we're falling more in love with Him as we open His Word. We see His characteristics and His attributes. We're, we're falling more in love with Him so that from now until when He takes us home, we're about the business of making disciples. We're about the, the Great Commission. And we're about speaking about that which we love. That's all Paul was doing. I, I just wanted to come and tell you about what changed my life. I was going to Damascus to kill Christians. And some serious things happened. Let me tell you the story. And you share your testimony. And, and, and hearts are open. And lives are changed. Verse 2. Important verse for you and I. For I determined, he says, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All that he came with, all that he, the only thing that he came and brought to them, he had other knowledge, he had other wisdom. As we read the story of Athens in Acts chapter 17, we knew that he was up on current events. We knew that he was familiar with other religions. We knew that, that he could be relevant, but he found that wasn't entirely effective. And so as he went to Corinth, he said, I'm dropping all that stuff and I'm just coming into these people and all I'm going to tell them is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And as we share and as we explain to people, as we make disciples, ladies and gentlemen, I would encourage you to do the same. Know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was reading as I was preparing um, the commentary that's been put together uh, of um, uh, John Corson's studies. 
uh, his, his commentary on the New Testament and of this chapter. And he wrote three or four page little inset to say that really Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel, the good news is the answer to the majority of the questions that you will get about faith. As you talk and as you share the gospel, you can point them to the cross. You can point them to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And, and it is the majority of, of the answers. So he went through 18 different questions that you would typically get. And I, I meant to actually bring it in hand copies out of it. But some of it was, um, how do I, how do I, um, stay devoted in the Word? Well, you understand what, Christ has done. You understand that Jesus made a way so that you can have, you know, eternal life in Him, and that is explained through the Gospels. That is explained through the Word of God, and so that should give you a hunger for His Word. How do I make disciples? How do I keep? How do disciples grow? It's all in the Gospel. It's all in the Gospel. So, practice the knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is simple. The idea is simple, but it's wise because we want to point to him. The gospel really is the answer to the world's problems. The good news really is the answer. He says in verse three, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now what caused this? We're not real sure of. Uh, obviously pretty well everywhere he had gone, he had been beaten, left for dead, beaten with rods, beaten with sticks, shipwrecked. He had some issues going on. This is, so perhaps as he's setting up camp there in Corinth, these things are overwhelming his mind. Um, I kind of look at it more like the idea, I, I came with, yes, these things, but in humility. I came making little of me and much of God. And my speech, he says in verse 4, and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now that is important. That is, that as we are evangelizing as we're sharing the gospel, as we are ambassadors for Christ's sake, that's important. That's a good goal for you and I, that we would not preach with persuasive words. We wouldn't come with excellence of speech, going back to verse 1, or in human wisdom, but that God would take the center stage, that the Spirit, that we would allow the Spirit to do the work necessary so that when people place their faith, they're not placing it in, in the words of men. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? Reason with me here for just a second. If, if somebody can be persuaded with words into the kingdom of God, then that same person can be persuaded with words out of the kingdom of God. Right? And so we can't, do we, it's a fine balance. Do we use words? Yes, we have to use words in order to explain the gospel. But we let the power come not in our speech or not in our persuasiveness. Let the power come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the power, or rather let the Spirit do His job, which is to convict and to change hearts. If we, if we try to, or if we successfully persuade somebody with our words, 
then somebody else may be able to persuade them out of the kingdom of God. David Guzik, I'll quote him here, um, seemed to nail, nail this idea. He says, preaching strategies centered around the wisdom of men, around emotion or entertainment or, and human personality, may yield a response, but not results for the kingdom of God. It may yield a response, but not results for the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, many people use slick, entertaining, or even deceptive means to lure people into church and to justify it by saying, we're drawing them in and winning them to Jesus. But the principle stands, um, with what you draw, or with, with what you draw them is what, oh, but the principle stands, what you draw them with is what you draw them to. There we go. What you draw them with is what you draw them to. And so if you are using entertainment or deception or slickness or emotion, then, then that's what you're drawing them to. If you are using the gospel, the, the power of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, explaining the good news, then that is what you're drawing them to. And then you will have not just a response, but results for the kingdom of God. Make sense? Allow the Spirit to do the work that, that He does. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, verse 4 says, it's the Spirit of God that creates true conversion. It's the encounter with Him as you and I speak the clear truth of the Gospel that changes lives. It's the encounter with the Spirit that changes lives, not our words. Okay? So, as we speak, as we share, we're praying, right? As we talk to people, we're talking to God at the same time, and we're saying, Lord, do a work here. Lord, open the eyes of their heart. Remove the veil that is covering their heart so that they can be convicted of sin. Because nobody knows their need for a Savior until they see their need for a Savior, until they recognize that they're sinful people in need of a Savior. Then they're willing to hear what Jesus has done. And so, Lord, convict in the way that only You can. Spirit, move over somebody's heart. Show them the wretchedness of their heart so that when I present the Gospel that Jesus came and paid the price so that You might have righteousness, so that You might have life eternal, so that You might have forgiveness of sin, then that heart is primed and ready. And the the Spirit does that work, a work of faith as well. And so he came and he's saying, as I establish this church, I speak simply. I, 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 I don't try to elevate and, and, and speak over anybody's heads. I want to make sure everybody understands and I want to uh, speak without persuasive words and, and just present the good news, the gospel of the truth, a great goal for you and I as we are sharing. He goes on to say in verse 6, however, we do, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, Yet, not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. He's saying, church, as you're established and as you're growing in Christ, can we discuss the more, the deeper things of God? Certainly. 
You, you, you don't say, you don't stay a spiritual infant forever. You don't just simply live on the milk of the word. At times we grow into the meat of the word and we, and we become more mature and we speak to those who are mature. But it's not the, the wisdom of this age. He's telling them, stop chasing after those things. Stop chasing after the rulers of this age. They're going to amount to nothing. We recognize that, right? All we're building here is sandcastles. And when the tide comes, they're washed away. His kingdom is the one that lasts forever. You guys keeping up on current events? I posted it this afternoon. We need to really keep our eyes on what's going on over in the Middle East. Um, like, we could be World War III by next week. We understand that it's, it's quite possible we will be at war with Syria and Iran and Russia by next week. It's, it's important that we understand the, the events that are going on. The, this world is fading away. There, there's a day coming when Christ is going to return. And, and until then, things aren't going to get better. We're, we're in a continual state of downward spiral. Or the Sin is, is corroding the earth until He returns and makes it right. And so as we keep our eyes on the Middle East, as we pay attention to these things, we, we recognize that what is the value of, of why would we place value in the wisdom of this age? Because it's, it's passing at best. It's passing. They're coming to nothing. Verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now when we see the word mystery in, in the Bible, we need to recognize that this isn't some kind of you know, Scooby-Doo sleuth that if we just have the right number of clues, we'll figure out who's behind the mask. That's not the type of mystery that we're talking. This isn't a whodunit. This isn't, you know, Alfred Hitchcock and, and wait till the end of the show to figure out what happened. That's not the mystery we're talking about here. When the Bible speaks of a mystery, what it means is that you will not understand it. You have no hope of understanding it unless it is revealed to you, unless God gives you that knowledge. And so as he says, uh, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery that wisdom that he's going to speak about is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember what it said back in chapter 1, that to the Jews it's a stumbling block. Why? Because they don't understand it. Because they, it, to them it is, it is something that trips them up. How could the Lord of glory, how could, how could our Messiah be somebody that was crucified? And so they don't understand it. But, so to them it's a mystery. It's not until the Spirit does His work in your heart, then you're able to understand what the mystery of God is. When, when the Spirit reveals it to your heart, then knowledge, then understanding comes. So it's the hidden wisdom which God ordained. It's a mystery, but it's not something that you can figure out on your own. These things have to be revealed to you through the Spirit. Which none of the rulers of the age of this knew. Some would contend those are the, the political leaders of the time. Those would contend those are the Jewish leaders of the time. Some would even say those are demonic leaders, demonic principalities of the, the age. Had they known what was going to happen, they would not have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
Six and one half dozen another, it doesn't really matter, in my opinion, as to who the rulers of this age are. It doesn't matter because none of them knew. And, and it's because God ordained that the Lord of glory would be crucified. Had it been the demonic principles, they, they thought that in his crucifixion, they had the victory. What they didn't realize is that through the crucifixion comes the resurrection. And so Christ has the victory. I love that title too. The Lord of glory. That's just, that's a, that's, that's, I think one, one of the only times in the New Testament perhaps that it, that is used. The Lord of glory. What a great title for our God. He is, he is worthy of all glory. He is over all glory. That's what the, the Lord means ruling over or reigning over. And he is over it all. And he is worthy of it all. Just a fantastic title for our Christ. Verse 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now, he's quoting a, a verse, and it's not an exact quote here, but he, he's saying, it sort of says in the book of Isaiah, that's, that's kind of what we get here. It says in the words of Isaiah, but not an exact quote, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of man the thing which God has prepared for those who love him. Most often when we hear that quote or when we talk about that quote, we would think about what? Heaven, right? Well, nobody knows what heaven's going to be like because we haven't been there yet, or we we cannot we kind of have an idea. We kind of have some, you know, we get some glimpses from the Bible, but until we lay eyes on it, then we won't fully understand. But while I think that can be part of the answer as to what this is talking about, eye has not seen nor ear heard. It can't be the entire answer because verse ten says, "But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit." So. This mystery, what eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the hearts of man, has been revealed to us, those that are in Christ, through the power, uh, through His Spirit is what it says. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And so that, I think, just, just uh, we're spending a lot of time tonight talking about the role of the Spirit, yes, the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that he's, a, he's part of the Trinity, we recognize that, but it's, he's not somebody that we speak of often. In fact, many Christians you'll find say, as they speak of the Holy Spirit, it, they call it it, the Holy Spirit is an it, no, wrong, the Holy Spirit is a he, and, and so the knowledge of the Holy Spirit is, is minimal in the church today. Like I said a few weeks ago, Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God. It's all about the Holy Spirit. But the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life is very, very important. Is it not? I mean, we need Him because it's the Spirit that reveals to our heart the truth of God, the knowledge of God. If we have if we have not the spirit, then we have not the knowledge of God. And so the the role of the spirit in my life and in your life is critical as we walk this world. Otherwise, we would we would have no knowledge. It is through His Spirit that these things are revealed. 
And so we need to, to acknowledge that, to thank the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when, in John 14, when I go to prepare a place for you, I won't leave you alone. I will send you the helper, the paraclete. I will send you the, the, the one that walks by your side, the one that dwells in your heart to help you, to assist you. And what does he do? How does he assist? By revealing to our hearts the truth of God, founded in the gospel. Okay? Verse 11, now he's going to reason a little bit, and and it's going to help us to understand the, the value of the Spirit of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. You understand? That makes sense, doesn't it? I don't know Tim Nisley's thoughts right now because they're in Tim Nisley's head. And unless Tim chooses to reveal to me what his thoughts are, I have no way of knowing. Same is true with God. I have no way of knowing the thoughts of God unless He reveals them to me. And the way He does that is by the Spirit. He, he lets the Spirit of God dwell in my heart. He lets the Spirit dwell in my life to walk alongside me. And through His Spirit, He reveals then the thoughts of God. What are you thinking, Tim? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, you're right there. So, I, you know, I, I, yeah. And, uh, you were thinking about banana pudding, or he is, yes. Mm, that sounds good. Now I'm thinking about banana. No, never mind. No one knows your thoughts except you, unless you reveal them to somebody. The same is true of God. Nobody knows the thoughts of God unless they are revealed by Him, and the way He does that is through the Spirit. No one, that's why it says, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so, verse 12 says, now that we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He's given us the Spirit so that as the Spirit has the knowledge of God, has the mind of God, then He can give that to us. He can reveal His truth to us. In Christ, believers are given the Spirit that we might have the mind of Christ. Not that we're all powerful or all knowledgeable or omniscient or omnipresent or any of those things, but that the mind of Christ, that we might have the heart of Christ, let's say, that we might love the world. These things which we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. He's saying, I'm not even going to put this on the table with those that are speaking worldly wisdom. We compare spiritual to spiritual, and and we're going to keep these things elevated inside the church so that those those that have the Spirit in them can understand them. But the, mat- the, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 
We gain our knowledge through spiritual discernment and having the Holy Spirit. The mind of the flesh is set on the flesh. He's not received the Spirit, therefore he cannot understand the wisdom of God. The natural man, the mind of the flesh, is set on the ways of this world. We are called, and I've quoted this, I don't know, a whole bunch of times in the last few weeks, not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12.2 We renew our mind, we allow the Spirit to work in our hearts that we might have the mind of Christ, the understanding of the wisdom of God. And then finishing up the chapter, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. He's, he's, he's elevating the position of the church. He's elevating us as the bride of Christ to say, nobody can rightly judge us, those of us outside, those outside the church, because they don't have the mind of Christ. But we can judge all things. He who is spiritual can judge all things because they do have the mind of Christ. So as the Holy Spirit dwells in you and I, as we walk this world, as we are waiting for His return, that is an indicator, we, as we have the Spirit inside of us, that you and I have the mind of Christ. Then, how do we act those things out? How do we live that out in our lives? First and foremost, we understand and accept and live out the Great Commission. You and I, as we have the Spirit of God in our hearts, we want to accomplish Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. We want to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. We want to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. And we are going to remember that God is with us always to the end of the age because we have the Spirit inside of us. And so we want to fulfill, we want to live out the Great Commission as we have the Spirit inside of us. We want to love others. Because we have the mind of Christ. For John 3.16, God so loved the world, what? That He gave His only begotten Son. That's how much God loved the world. He killed His Son so that they might have everlasting life. As we have the mind of Christ, we die to ourselves. We pick up our cross. We follow after Him daily. And we love the world. Not the ways of the world. The people of the world. We have a compassion for them as Christ does. We, at the same time, we long to be with God. We recognize that we are aliens and sojourners in this place and that this world is not our home. Christ recognized that as He walked this world. That, he, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That, that where I am, there you may also be. And, and, and there will be far better and far grander. And, and, and life in the presence of God is, is far greater and so we don't set our tent pegs so deep in this world. Our roots are in Christ, as we talked about on Sunday. We long to be with God. We set our affections on things above, not on the things of this world. And we don't chase after the shiny things that would try to lure us from following Him. That's a work of the enemy. That's a work of this world that would chase after the shiny things 
fame, gold, alcohol, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. We don't chase after those things. Miley Cyrus is a big deal this week, isn't she? And sure, it's heartbreaking. Sure, she was a somewhat of a role model as she was a younger lady to many girls. What happened? Fame is a drug. And she was lusting for that drug. And she was willing to do whatever it took to get fame. And everybody's talking about her, so she got exactly what she wanted this week. But it's sad. To the, the, the depths that people will stoop to in order to chase after the shiny things of this world. We're not called to that. We set our mind, we set our affections on the things above. We pursue our God. Amen? Uh, we'll stop there for this evening. Remember the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. Walk with Him. Let's rise. Let's close in prayer and in song. Jesus, thank You. Thank You that in the light of Your glory and grace, the things of this world grow strangely dim. And I pray that uh, our church, I pray that, that I would, that we would fall more in love with You, that we would set our affections on You, that we would fix our eyes on our, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, that You would place the, the burden that's on Your heart in our heart that we would see this world with Your eyes. Lost, starving, hungry souls that need truth, that need the good news. And Lord, that our lips would be willing, that our hearts would be willing to open up, to, to be a beggar sharing a, a morsel of bread. May we live boldly for You, O God. Fill us with Your Holy Spirit that we may walk more like You, that we may think more like You, O oh God. Lord, we love You. just want to serve out our days here on this earth, bringing You honor, bringing You glory, bringing You praise. Your kingdom come and Your will be done. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.